You're listening to an audio message from Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. For more information, visit our website at harvestgranger.org. Good morning and Merry Christmas. As we jump into December, let me welcome you. If you're new to Harvest, my name's Trent, and I'm one of the pastors around here. We would love to get to know you on a more personal level. And uh, before you leave today, would you please stop by our guest reception area? Some friendly people have a gift for you and would love to greet you there. And uh, for all of us here this morning, we'd love to know that you're here. So if you'll take that register that's found on the far left-hand side of every row, take that out. Give us your name, your information. We'd love to pray for you. So give us a way that we can pray for you this week as you pass that down the aisle. And um, I would like to ask right now for a special group of people to stand with me. If you are a member of Harvest Bible Chapel, would you please stand? We want to find out where all the members of Harvest are this morning. Fantastic. Now, the reason I ask you to stand is because these are the people that are responsible for Harvest Bible Chapel. These are the people that says, I want to carry some weight around here and I'm not strong enough to do it by myself. I'm going to lock arms with everybody else. These are the members of Harvest Bible Chapel. You guys can have a seat. The reason these guys are members is because they know the vision. They're committed to it. We're all going the same direction at the same time. And we're committed to the mission of the church. Now, the way that you become a member at Harvest Bible Chapel is to come to the membership class, which we call Making Harvest My Home. That class is happening tonight at 5 o'clock. I have been looking at some of you for like a couple of years. And you still aren't members. Why not? Come tonight at 5 o'clock and embrace the responsibility and the privileges of membership. We'll serve you a, a light meal in the middle of that. And we'll spend some time together getting to know the, uh, the mission and uh, the core values of our church tonight at 5 o'clock. Open your Bible to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And uh, as we continue our Simply Pray series, I just continue to hear what God is doing as we have taken seriously the privilege and the responsibility of prayer. Now, as we jump into this, I want to ask you to think with me for this morning. As a matter of fact, this morning is all about thinking and rethinking. It is possible that we have not been thinking correctly about prayer. And so I'm going to challenge you this morning to rethink four different areas. Before we get into that, I want you to think seriously with me about one thing. I want you to think about the most painful thing that you are experiencing right now. You say, I didn't come to church to think about the most painful thing. I, th I came to church to get my mind off of that and to get some hope. Well, in order to get the hope, we have to think. What is the most painful thing, maybe even chronically painful thing, that you experience and are experiencing in your life? Maybe it's your greatest area of weakness. Maybe it's a physical weakness. Maybe it's a disability. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's just a physical pain. Maybe it's an emotional pain. Maybe it's, it's regret over some, some things that have happened to you in the past, either some choices that you made or maybe some things that people did to you that you wish you could go back and undo. And it causes you pain. 
Maybe it's something that you've asked God to remove. You've prayed over and over and over that God would remove this. It's an area of weakness in your life. You think, God, if you would just remove this, I would be so much stronger. Have you got it? How many of you are thinking of something right now? That you've prayed about, God, remove it. I could, do so much, I could be so much further down the road with you if you would just remove this. Now, here's what I want you to rethink. What if that very painful thing that you have prayed that God would remove is the very thing that God wants to use to change you, to teach you? to protect you, to grow you and draw you into a stronger, closer, intimate relationship with Him. What if that pain was put in your life to prompt you to pray? Would you still ask God to remove it? What if the thing that you consider your greatest weakness is what God actually wants to use to make you stronger. That's what we're going to think about today as we continue thinking about this idea of simply praying. I want you to show, I want to show you someone in the scripture that that was re the reality for them. We're going to be, begin to pick up the story here in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. This is the apostle Paul that we would consider the strongest Christian that ever lived. He wrote half the New Testament. And the reason he wrote half the New Testament is because of the things that God had revealed to him knowledge of God that he wanted to communicate to the churches. So I want you to see the story here. He picks up the story in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 1. He says, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Now stop right there. Let me give you the context of this because we would say boasting, isn't boasting a bad thing? I mean, don't we like tell our children, don't boast, don't be arrogant, don't, don't be proud. He's actually using boasting the way that we would if we put it in air quotes. I must go on boasting. And so what he's actually having to do is these Corinthians, these, these, this church in the city of Corinth were so carnal that they were requiring the Apostle Paul to convince them why they should listen to him. There were a lot of different super apostles, people that were presenting their spiritual resumes to become the teachers and the influencers of the church in Corinth. And Paul is trying to gain a hearing. You need to be listening to me because I actually am the one that have the truth. And Paul's in this really awkward position of having to list his spiritual credentials to these people so that they would listen to him so that he could disciple them and get them to a better place with the Lord. So he says, okay, you're putting me in this really awkward position. So now I have to go into the section of my resume that has to do with some really strange things that he calls visions and revelations of the Lord. Now, if you look back over um, in chapter 11, go over to verse 
23, and he is listing part of the weaknesses of his resume. I want you to see it here. It says, are they, these super apostles, these people that are trying to compete for their attention, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. Are they talking like madmen with far greater labors, far more uh, imprisonments? They are they with countless beatings and often near death. Now he's talking about all these experiences he's had because he has stood for truth, because he's unapologetically preached the word of God and the opposition that's come with it. Look at how he's been treated. Verse 24, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger of of false uh, brothers. How many think he lived a dangerous life? At this point, like, my goodness, this guy has really suffered for Christ. But then he goes on in verse 27, in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from all these things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Then he asked the question, who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made? Who? Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. And so that's what he wants to do. He's trying to say, you guys should listen to me because my life has been spent for the gospel. I've been so unfairly treated. I have been physically beaten. And yet I love you so much. I'm willing to suffer these things in order to get the truth to you. And so they're putting him in a position. They don't want to listen to his weaknesses. They want to hear something about his strengths. And so he's very awkwardly having to talk to these people about his strengths. And so in verse two, back over in chapter 12, he goes on about these visions and revelations. He says this, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast But on behalf, on my own behalf, I will not boast except in my weaknesses. And let me tell you what's going on here. What are these visions and revelations with this stuff about paradise and the third heaven here? And and why is he speaking in the third person when it's obvious that he's telling a story that, that happened to him? Well, proud people are really hard to communicate to. And it puts you in a really hard position when you're actually trying to gain a hearing with proud people. So he's having to talk about these things that have happened to him. He says, I know a man. And so he's talking about himself that was caught up in the third heaven. Like, what's all this stuff about the third heaven? Sounds like a science fiction movie. Listen, it's not hard to figure out, okay? The first heaven is what we would consider the atmosphere of the earth, where the birds fly and the planes fly. That's the first heaven. And then beyond that, we have outer space. Did you see the moon this morning? Yeah, that would be the second heaven out there. And then the third heaven is actually the dwelling place of God, a place that that one day we will all be with God uh, in 
paradise. Well, Paul was exposed to such revelation that in some sense, he's not even sure if it was an out-of-body experience or it was a vision or a dream or something or maybe a near-death experience, but he heard things and saw things that were going on in the dwelling place of God. Now, what's interesting is every time that somebody has a near-death experience on earth that we know of today, they write a book and they want to get rich and they want to tell all the details about it. Paul doesn't want to talk about this. He hasn't talked about it in 14 years. And yet they're putting him in a position to say, you've got to show us why we should listen to you. Well, here's a reason. I went to heaven. I found out some things about God. That's why you need to listen to me. So that was an experience that would cause someone to become proud because of the revelation that they have about God. Mark it down. The more revelation you have, the greater temptation you have to become proud. Here's the first thing that we need to learn this morning. We need to rethink the problem of pride. You remember that painful circumstance that I had you think of earlier? Do you understand that your pain is not your greatest problem? Your greatest problem is pride. And if you don't deal with your pride, it could be that God allows you to experience some pain to protect you from pride. Pain is not your biggest problem. Pride is because pride prevents people from praying. Pride is prayer repellent. The more you think you know, the less you think you need. And so Paul understands that because he's experienced so much revelation, he had to experience some pain. Listen, the best thing you could put on your spiritual resume is not how much you know about God. The best thing you could put on your spiritual resume is how much more you need to know about God. The worst thing you could put on your spiritual resume is all of your strengths that have allowed you to succeed without prayer and without God. Listen, forget about your spiritual accomplishments. What qualifies you for ministry is not your spiritual strengths. It's not how much you know. What qualifies you for ministry is how you leverage your weaknesses to drive you further and further to God in prayer. And that's what happened to Paul. The stronger you are, the more God has to do to convince you of how much you still need Him. And the more accomplishments you have, the more you want to talk about those accomplishments, the more you must learn to boast only in your weaknesses. You see, strong people have difficulty praying. They see little need in their life for prayer because they think they can handle it on their own. They're so strong. And what's so interesting, strong people, people that think they're strong, they have a hard time seeing their own weaknesses, but they are great at seeing everybody else's. So do you know what they do? They spend all their time in prayer praying for other people. 
because it's all they can see is all these dysfunctional people in their family and all the weaknesses in their spouse and all their all their kids that are messed up and how the church and the pastor and the president and everybody around them has all these spiritual needs. And so they are great at intercessory prayer, but they are awful at personal prayer. Because they're blinded by all of their spiritual accomplishments, all their accomplishments. We've got to learn to boast in our weaknesses. How do you boast in your weakness? Number one, you admit your weaknesses to yourself. You stop thinking about how great you are and how strong you are. Number two, admit your weaknesses to God. You start off in prayer. God, there is so much unfinished business in my life. God, I still feel so distant from you. God, there's still such a propensity to, 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 to run from you. And I am, I am way too good at seeing weaknesses in everybody else. God, would you open my eyes to see what you want to do in my own life? I can guarantee you there is a prayer that God will not answer. Here it is. God, would you please remove every difficulty in my life so that I don't have to trust you? Would you please remove every pain so that my life can be so easy that I can handle it without you? I guarantee you that's a prayer God will never answer. And yet... That is the translation of most of our prayers. God, would you fix that? God, would you remove that? God, would you make me feel better? Would you make it easier over here? And God is like, I'm not answering that prayer because you're way too proud to handle life without me dealing with the pain and circumstances in your life. So the second thing we need to rethink is we need to rethink the purpose of pain. Now, we left off the story here in verse uh, 6. I want you to look at verse uh, look at verse 7. He says, So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Let's rethink the purpose of pain. So Paul mentions here this thorn in the flesh. Now the Greek word that's used there indicates something pointed, something sharp, something like a stake or a javelin or the point of a fishing hook, like a splinter. It was something that caused pain. Now, it's interesting that he uses the word thorn here. He's using an analogy. I don't think that literally he had a thorn that was stuck in his, in his leg or his finger that he couldn't get out, okay? But what he's trying to let us know is it was just as painful as that. And so we don't exactly know what the thorn is. A lot of people have speculated about it. There's some things that we know the thorn is not, this is what we know about the thorn. It, it's not sin, okay? This is not a personal sin issue because the Bible says it was given to him. God doesn't give you sin, okay? So it was something that was given to him. It was a gift that God gave him. Secondly, it was, it was something that, that caused acute, chronic pain. It went on and on and on. Paul 
ask for God to remove it, but God continued to allow it. Thirdly, Paul viewed it as simultaneously as a gift from God and an instrument of Satan. Now, just think about that for a minute. Most of us have a very a dichotomy view of, you know, God's over on this team and Satan's over on this team and anything that's coming into my life, if it's painful, if it hurts, it's obviously from Satan. I mean, if somebody's, um, you know, giving me a dirty look, well, you're from Satan for sure. You know, if, if somebody's got a bad attitude, and you are being controlled by Satan right now. And, and there is a sense in which Paul understood a proper theology of Satan, the adversary of God. We, we assign way too much power to Satan. Okay, listen, Satan is not Jesus's evil twin. Okay, there's not this wrestling match in the universe between God and Satan. And you know, we just really hope that God can work it out at the end and Satan will tap out. That's that's a wrong theology. Satan is the unwilling servant of Jehovah God. He does only what God allows him to do. And so Paul understood that even though the messenger was Satan, the message was from God. And God was using Satan to get the message about Paul's temptation to pride through this pain. And so it, we don't exactly know what it was, but we can kind of speculate. Um, people have thought, commentators have written, it could have been some type of emotional depression. Maybe, maybe he actually struggled with depression. Maybe there was some guilt over his past life. Do you think Paul had some things that were regretful in his life? And here he was trying to minister to the church when he knew that on his resume in the past was the fact that he'd actually persecuted the church and he'd actually killed Christians. And now he's trying to make disciples. And so maybe there was something going on in his, in his psyche about what had happened in the past. Maybe it was his burden for his own people, the nation of Israel, that, that he had a heart to to see no Jesus. Maybe it was a relational conflict. Some people think that it could have been the opposition from all these false prophets and, and people that were trying to, to harass him, his opponents. Uh, maybe it was the rejection of his ministry. Some people have said it was his mother-in-law. Um, I don't know. It, I don't know. It, it could have been. Um, but, but really, if, if, we take, if we take the Scripture literally... It had to do with his flesh. He identifies it was a thorn in his flesh. I believe it was physical pain. Okay? And so some people could say, you, you have to remember, this is back in the day where there were not, not a lot of doctors and physicians and penicillin and, and Pepto-Bismol. I mean, it, it, none of that. No Advil, no Tylenol, no pain reliever in any way back in this day. So it could have been something that we would consider not very serious. It could be a fever. It could have been migraine headaches. It could have been malaria, digestive trouble. It could have been epilepsy. Some people have thought it could have been poor eyesight. I am almost convinced I know what it is. You're laughing. I am convinced it was sciatica. How many of you know what sciatica is? How many of you are actually experiencing a little sciatica right now? Okay. The reason I believe it was sciatica is because I have sciatica. Because I have a, an elder, a former elder at our church, that 
that decided he wanted to take me on a run and train me for, to run a half marathon about three years ago. And so I'm like, okay, I can do this. So I start running. And after about three weeks, I got this pain in my hip. It starts going down my leg and my leg is numb and I'm dying. I can't run anymore, but I, I now have this new pain and I go in for an MRI. And sure enough, the disc between L4 and L5 is all squished out and it puts pain on the nerve that goes right down through there, goes to my left leg and it hurts. And I know that's what Paul had to. The reason I think that is because you think you know what Paul's thorn is too. Whatever you have, you're sure that's what Paul had too, right? Now, the Bible doesn't really tell us what it is. Of course, I don't know if it's sciatica or not. But God, in his infinite wisdom, left it open for us to say, you know what? If Paul had listed specifically what it was, if it was migraine headaches and you don't struggle with migraine headaches, it's like, well, that doesn't apply with me. Why doesn't God talk about my pain? Listen, whatever your pain is and whatever Paul's pain was, God wants to teach us the same thing through it. We need to understand the purpose of our pain. Now, I want you to notice here, um, Paul actually prays that God would remove it. He does. But do you understand God is more committed to your spiritual health than he is your physical health? And if some of your physical strength has to be sacrificed in order for you to become spiritually strong, God's willing to allow that in your life. We need to rethink the purpose of pain. And we need to think, rethink the purpose of prayer. Look here at verse 8. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So three different times, God or Paul asked God to fix his sciatica or whatever it was that he was dealing with. Now notice, it was the pain that prompted the prayer. Do you get it? Pride is prayer repellent. Pain is prayer accelerant. God is so committed to your prayer life that He allows pain to prompt you to seek Him in prayer. But what do we do? We immediately go, it's like, God, I don't know if you've noticed or not, but Satan has been attacking me. Satan has sent this pain into my life. And I know that you can fix that. And God, I want to pray right now. Would you please remove the pain? We need to rethink the purpose of pain. We need to rethink the purpose of prayer. Now listen, three different times Paul pleaded with the Lord that he would remove it. And that's great news for us. Do you know what that means? You can ask God to heal you. It is perfectly acceptable for you to ask God to remove the pain. You can pray about anything, any problem, any pain in your life. You can ask God to fix it. That's exactly what Paul did, and it was very appropriate. As a matter of fact, over in James chapter 5, we're told that God does heal physical pain. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can do anything? Do you believe that God can still heal? Absolutely. That's why in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 16, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. 
Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. If you're sick this morning and you would like the elders to pray over you and ask God to heal you, you just come at the end of the service and we'll find some oil somewhere and we'll anoint you and we'll pray that God will fix you. We'll pray about any of that. We love to do that. There's times that people are facing serious health crises. Our elders will go over to their house and we've prayed for them and we've anointed them and, uh, and we've seen God heal. And we've seen God not heal. But we're following what God says to do. In verse 15, he goes on, he says, The prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now, did you notice what happened in that passage? Paul, uh, uh, James, who's writing here, associates sickness with sin. You see, God sends messages to people through sickness. And one of the messages that He sometimes sends is the reason you are sick is because you are sinning. Now listen, God doesn't always send sickness and not all sickness is a result of sin. Indirectly it is because it all goes back to the Garden of Eden and none of us would be sick if our great-grandparents, Adam and Eve, hadn't sinned. And so sin and sickness entered into the world at the same time. But now that we're sick, it's just part of the curse. It's part of the fallenness that we live with. We can ask God to remove the pain, but when we do, we might want to ask the question that's identified here in James chapter 5, do you need to confess some sin? As a matter of fact, if you come to the elders and you ask us to pray for you, we're probably going to ask you, how's it going in your relationship with God right now? Are you, is there any unconfessed sin in your life? Are you living in harmony with God? Is there any bitterness between you and another person? Um, you might want to go back and take care of that. And you might find that when you take care of the sin, God will take care of the sickness. So there's all kinds of reasons that God allows pain and sickness in our life. God has different purposes for sickness. To glorify Himself, to convict us of sin, to teach us humility, to prompt us to pray. And so we need to rethink the purpose of prayer. You see, shallow people only use prayer as a means to remove pain. And to the, to, to the degree that God removes the pain, shallow people serve God. To the degree to the which God does not remove the pain, shallow people don't serve God. And so they're using God and using prayer to make their life easier. That's not the purpose of prayer. Christians understand that prayer is a means to understand God's purpose for pain. Do you understand this? Sometimes when we pray... God wants to change circumstances. And oftentimes when we pray, God wants to change us. And so we have an open hand about the pain and the sickness that we bring to God. God is more committed to changing you than He is committed to changing your circumstances. And when God doesn't answer prayer, it means that He's doing something bigger then you can understand right now. Your prayer life is only one small part 
of an ongoing relationship with God and all that God is doing to build His kingdom in the world and inside of you. And so sometimes God wants to change the circumstances through prayer. Oftentimes God wants to change me through prayer. So how do I simply pray through my pain? Well, I need to change the way I pray about my pain. Can I suggest something to you? Radical concept. It may even reverse everything you've learned so far in the Simply Pray series. Maybe God wants to... Maybe, maybe you need to stop asking God to remove the pain. Why? Because God's using the pain. God is using it to shape you and mold you and to protect you from pride. Did you see it here? Paul prayed three times. Paul didn't ever pray the fourth time to remove this pain. Some of you have prayed for 300 times that God would remove your pain. Maybe it's time for you to get a new perspective on your pain and to pray not that God would remove the pain, but that God would use the pain to teach you everything that He wants you to learn through the pain. Consider this. You remember that thing you were thinking of earlier? Have you ever thanked God for that? It's a gift. You're like, Trent, you're asking me to thank God for this painful circumstance? Yeah. Well, I don't even think God wants this to happen. Listen, um, I don't know if He wants it to happen or not. All I know is that God is big enough, powerful enough, and wise enough that if He wanted to remove it, He could by now. So He must have a purpose for allowing it. Why don't you thank Him that God is big enough, wise enough, and powerful enough that if He wanted to move it, He could remove it and yield to God His timing in removing it. Ask God to use that pain to teach you every lesson that He wants you to learn. And then allow every thorn that you face to remind you that on the cross, on your behalf, there was a crown of thorns that was placed on the head of your Savior, not because of His sin, but because of your sin. And God used a crown of thorns on the beloved Son that He sent to save you from your sin. So every time I sense a little sciatica in the back, it is an opportunity for me to remember, you know what? Jesus took upon Himself pain He didn't deserve. And I thank you, God, that you loved me so much. You took on pain that should have been mine on the cross. Whatever thorn in the flesh you have, you can thank God that you haven't borne the weight of all of the pain that you deserve. Jesus absorbed that for you. And if you've never viewed your pain through the pain that Jesus experienced on the cross, you don't even have the power yet to understand the gospel. And that's why we need to get to the fourth point. Here it is. We need to rethink the power of grace. Look at verse 9. It says, but he said to me, God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power 
power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Does it surprise you that the word gladly would show up in this passage? Paul was glad that God didn't remove the thorn. How in the world can a person be glad about the most painful situation in their life? It is only because of grace. My grace is sufficient for you. Now listen, we think of grace and we immediately think of amazing grace that saved me from sin. And we we too often only think of grace in relation to salvation. Something that God did to remove my sins so that I can be right with God. And then we ignore God's grace for every circumstance and situation that we have every minute of the day. I have said that grace is the most overused, underdefined, and underutilized word in the English language. We sing about it. We talk about it. Can you actually explain how you're using God's grace today? How you are enduring the pain in your life through His grace today? Until you understand God's amazing grace to deal with every weakness and every pain, you'll never be able to be the person that God wants you to be. Grace is not simply what gets you saved. Grace is what keeps you saved. Grace is not simply what covers your sin. Grace is what gives you the capacity to deal with your thorns. Grace allows you to embrace your weakness, to boast in your weakness, to see your weakness as something that God wants to use to transform you. Grace is something that saves us, but it's also something that continually changes us. Grace is God's transformational tool. Paul Tripp, that has taught me so much about grace, says this, Grace will convince you of your unworthiness without ever making you feel unloved. Grace will confront you with the fact that you're much less than what you thought you were, even as it assures you that you can be far more than you ever imagined. Grace will put you in your place without ever putting you down. Grace will enable you to face the truth about yourself that you've hesitated to consider while freeing you from being self-consciously introspective. Grace will confront you with profound weakness and at the same time introduce you to newfound strength. Grace will make you as uncomfortable as you've ever been while offering you more comfort than you've ever known. Grace will drive you to the end of yourself while it invites you to fresh starts and new beginnings. Grace will make you sadder than you've ever been before while it will give you greater cause for celebration than you've ever known. Grace enters your life in a moment but it will occupy your attention for an eternity. You simply can't live a productive life or have a productive ministry in this broken down world unless you have grasped practically the grace that you have been given. God wants to give you grace today to deal with the pain that you're going through. And remember the purpose and the power of grace. Grace is God's way of protecting you from pride. There's two kinds of proud people in the room right now. By the way, there's only one type of person in the room, a proud person. 
Every person in this room has a propensity to pride. We want to boast in our strengths and we want to ignore our weaknesses. And God's economy, he wants you to reverse those. He wants you to boast in your weakness and he wants you to ignore your strengths because God wants to give you grace so that you operate in his power and not yours. So there's two types of proud people in the room. First of all, there are people who have a propensity to self-exaltation. You talk about yourself, you list your accomplishments, you only present a part of you that people would um, be impressed with. And God wants to help you get beyond that. Understand this, God's plan, God's plan A is always humility in every circumstance. When you've blown it, humble yourself. When you've done something right, humble yourself. God's plan A is always humility. What if you don't get on God's plan A? Well, the God has plan B. You know what plan B is? Humiliation. God will create or allow circumstances in your life that you can't handle so you fall on your face and it will drive you to prayer. So do you want to be on God's plan A or God's plan B? I will ask you again. Would you like to be on God's plan A or God's plan B? Humble yourself. And humbling yourself does not mean thinking less of yourself. Humbling yourself is thinking of yourself less. It's not beating yourself up. It's not pretending you're worse than what you are. It's just actually seeing yourself for the way you really are. And so humble yourself so that you don't have to endure God's humbling grace. Now, I told you there's two types of people. The first you're given to self-exaltation. The second type of proud person is probably the majority of us. It's not so much you brag and boast about yourself. It's, your problem is not self-exaltation. Your problem is self-sufficiency. You think you can go through the day in your own power. You're smart. You got some money in the bank. You got a good reputation. You're friendly. You're nice. You're attractive. You got this. That's a problem. That's the problem of pride. It deceives you into thinking that you can handle life on your own. And so God has to give you some circumstances to convince you, I can't handle this. God, I'm not sufficient, but your grace is. And it's interesting in the passage, it says God's power is made perfect in weakness. Now, that's an interesting phrase because isn't God's power already perfect? Is there any way to for God's power to be more perfect than what it is. So it's not something, it's not talking about God's all-sufficient power in, as it exists with God. It's talking about how much of God's power is actually operating through me. You understand this? Only a person who humbles themselves, only a person who admits, I don't have the power that I need, can experience God's power perfectly operating in their life. The more you admit you're not perfect, the more of an understanding you have that God's power is perfect. So how do we simply pray? We ask God to show His power through our weakness. We admit, God, I'm not smart enough. I'm not rich enough. I'm not influential enough. I'm, I'm not persuasive enough. I'm not lovable enough. 
I'm not articulate enough. I'm not athletic enough. I'm not physically strong enough. I don't have enough. And so, God, I'm coming to you that your power is made perfect in all of these weaknesses in my life. We embrace the sufficiency of God's grace. When God doesn't give you what you ask, you rejoice that God wants to give you His grace. He wants to give you Himself. Paul got to the point where he valued God's grace so much that he no longer prayed for the removal of the pain. He understood God's grace was more powerful than his comfort. And he understood this pain was actually God's tool to give more grace. And he valued grace so much that he gladly accepted the pain. That's where God wants to take us this morning. Can you yield the right to have an easier pain-free life so that you can get what you need the most, which is God's grace? And God gives grace to the humble. God stiff arms the proud. He gives grace to people that are willing to admit they don't have what it takes. God is so committed to you knowing more of his power, he continually allows circumstances to convince you you can't handle this on your own. We started the whole service talking about Advent. And what's the word of Advent this week? Hope. How does this relate to hope? Do you understand it's only in the life of a Christian that has the hope of knowing that one day every thorn, every pain, every tear, every conflict will be removed and resolved for those that have come into relationship with Christ through grace. Interestingly, when God created the world, He created a world without thorns. Only in Genesis 3.18 do we find that as a result of our sin, thorns entered into the world. Every rose had no thorns until sin. And what God has given and promised to those that have come into relationship with Christ through His grace is that one day God will restore this place to look like it did when He created it. That's our hope. That's our Advent hope. We live in between the two advents of Jesus. He came first in Bethlehem as a little baby. And He died on that cross to save us from sin. But we are awaiting, we're anticipating the second advent when He will come and make all things right again. So whatever pain you're enduring, whatever thorn you have in your flesh, you can endure that in the grace and the hope that one day, God will make it right. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Are you willing right now to boast in your weakness? Some of us have been trained and taught, maybe just absorbed the culture, thinking that somehow if you've got a weakness, you've, you've got to hide that. Don't admit that. Don't let anybody see that. And it may have been hard for you even to admit it to yourself. Right now in prayer, would you just admit 
your weakness to God. Maybe it's something on the surface, a physical pain, a health issue. And yet, below the surface, there is a weakness that can only be dealt with by the power of God. Would you humble yourself? That's God's plan A. Maybe it's intellectually, maybe it's emotionally, maybe it's spiritually. You're willing to admit, I don't have my act together. I'm not smart enough. I'm certainly not godly enough. So God, I pour that out to you. I open my hand. And maybe there's somebody here today that would say, Lord, I've asked you to remove this. I want to go on record right now to ask you to use it for every purpose that you've designed it. God, bring me to the place where I see your perfected power. I want to get to the point where I gladly embrace my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, never understood that this relationship we have with the Lord can't be earned through strength, it's only given as an act of grace to people that are willing to admit their weakness. Why don't you open up your heart to Him? Quit trying to impress Him. Call out to Him for His grace. Confess your sin. stand together and I'll pray for us. Father, today I want to pray uh, for my friends. And Lord, I know that there are some people here dealing with incredibly painful situations. And some of them are the result and the consequence of wrong choices. They're they're the result of, of doing things not your way. And so God, we we pray that you would give us grace to do things your way to avoid those painful circumstances. But there's other people here today that they really are facing a situation that uh, is causing distress. It's revealing a weakness. I pray, God, that by Your grace, You would help them to see Your perspective on that. God, we believe firmly in the power of prayer. We know You can do anything. We know that You can heal. We know that You can resolve conflict. God, We know that ultimately you can remove eternal pain by your grace. Yet there are some people here that are facing situations that are overwhelming. And I pray, God, that they would see that through your perspective. God, we want to experience your power. We want to know your perfected power at work in us. And so, God, would you change us and use the thorns. God, we thank you for the crown of thorns that was placed upon the head of Jesus on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to experience your wrath. Thank you for grace this morning. We pray in Jesus' name.